Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Martha. Hi, everyone. Uh, Martha, compulsive reader and Galena. Um, thank you so much, uh, Leslie, for asking me, and thank you, Martha, Leslie, for my likes. Um, and I mean that literally. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Leslie uh, was the first person I talked to in LA when I didn't even know what it was about. My AA sponsor sent me to her, and um, she has stuck with me through some insanity. I don't know why. <laughs> when she said that thing about sometimes you're glad when they leave, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've given her a hard time. Um, so just to qualify, um, because I, I love, uh, for me, first of all, if I, people don't give all their information up front, I said they're obsessing about, like, how old are they, where are they from, like, how long have they been around, and doing numbers in my head. So I, um, I, my, bot- and my bottom line abstinence is, um, is no throwing up. Um, that's what, it, what that's how I started, and I re- have recently added. Um, I changed it to no binging, no purging, and no recreational sugar, which is like sort of defined in a complex way. But I can talk more about that later. Um, but I came here in 2008. I did not stay. I recovered very quickly and graduated, and then um, it because I like lost weight and stopped throwing up and looked amazing, and I needed to get out and live my life. So not recommended. It was a disaster. And then I came back in um, my absence date now is January uh, 5th of 2009. Um, and so just it, like coming up on nine years, oh my God. I, um, I, and I will do like anything, anything, anything to hold that date and to hold my seat because I was dying and I know that I could die of this disease. Um, I don't know why I didn't die. And um, I will, there's nothing that I won't do for um, OA. Um, because this this program the people in it saved my life. So um, and I came I believed that I was born a compulsive overeater. A lot of my earliest memories from even like three or four years old are of trying to find ways to stuff my face. And um, I started growing up. I started dieting when I was like nine probably, and then I threw up for the first time when I was seventeen. And I threw up for the last time, God willing, if I if I hold my feet and stay here on um, in. Uh, when I was um, 39, uh, 39 years old. And um, so that's 22 years of insanity, of binging, purging, um, killing myself with food, and, and like losing my sanity, losing my health um, over uh, my addiction to food, to, to food and to my eating disorder. And um, I'm also sober. I got into my, I came into this program through. Um, AA, because what, what happened for me was food was my first drug, then I discovered alcohol, then it was alcohol and food together. Then when I got sober in 2007, um, my, my eating disorder just took off um, because that, that was the outlet left to me. So, um, and I'm from Canada. Um, I came down here in my disease and um, caused a caused some binational destruction, I would say. <laughs> um, okay, so let me... Oh, and I also just wanted to acknowledge how wonderful it is to have an OA family. You know, I love what Leslie said about... She, what she taught me when I was new was 
Um, we're not tourists in meetings. We don't just like walk around to different meetings all the time, roll this, roll that. Um, we you get regular meetings on regular meeting days. You get a commitment at every meeting. At one point, I had like nine commitments because I had to go to all my AA meetings, and then I have three OA meetings. Because when you have a commitment, you make the meeting your own. You're not a tourist. Um, you do any little job, whatever's needed to be done. And then pe- the important thing is people know to find you there. Like Wesley and Nikki and people like that have been coming here for like 20 years or I don't know, 21 years, however long. And people know that like they'll come back. I mean, you can come back and they're going to be there. And that really means a lot to me and Lisanne and all my, my OA family um, and, and so many of you. And another joy of this meet, of, of just going to regular meetings and seeing people is like, there's so many people here who I saw, because I lose track of my progress and I start to feel like I'm not really doing that well and then, you know, I've gained a few pounds or this happened and that happened. Um, you know, I've kept my abstinence, but I've struggled in different ways with um, my eating, with, with just with eating, because um, I love it. Um, and, um, but, you know, like people like Aaron and, um, and other Aaron. <laughs> And um, just, I mean, there's people I saw come in here enormous, like they took up two feet. And, um, no offense. And <laughs> there's people that came in here that came in that were dying of, of anorexia or bulimia. And to see those people heal and just to see the lights come on and to see them get these amazing lives is, um, it's just such a joy. And, and like Leslie said, um, there's, I've sponsored a ton of women, like dozens and dozens. Um, right now I only have one sponsor. And most, a lot of those women left. I don't know what happened to a lot of them, but the ones that have moved on, um, when I see them or when I hear them speak at a meeting, I, it just, like, like for that reason alone, I'm glad that I was born an overeater. Because what an amazing thing to see, like, this gift that you were given, that you gave to somebody, no matter how begrudging and stubborn they were, and then they took it, and they've, their life has been transformed, and now they have sponsors. Like, that to me is, like, that's, like, what I feel, it gives me a sense of a purpose of a human life. Like, it's more meaningful than any, like, career success or financial success to see that that happening. Like, I think sometimes we just don't realize what we have here. Um, and I speak for myself with that. Okay, let me just quickly backtrack. I'm going to try to not spend too much time on what it was like because I always do that because I find it fascinating. Um, <laughs> like, and I'll just tell you quickly, I do get into the gory details because when I was new, I had so much shame about the way I ate. I had so much shame about the filth in my car, about the, the food in my house. I had so much shame about the way I threw up and the way I, I hid bags of vomit. And, um, like, I just, and I had never told anybody ever, no therapist, no doctor, no friend, nobody knew what I did. And I knew other people did it, you know, from movies and literature. Like, I learned about it from young adult novels. Um, <laughs> but I had never talked to somebody and said, yes, you know, I'm doing it. And, um, and so when I, I remember one of my first meetings hearing this woman share about how she was, like, a successful stockbroker and she was driving to her professional job in her suit. Um, and in her car was a bag of vomit because she still lived with her parents, so she couldn't get rid of it in the house. And then she dropped it somewhere by a trash can. And then when she was driving home, she drove past the same bag of vomit and was like, oh, there's my vomit. And I did that at a Ralph. Like, I remember going back to, to the Ralph and being like, oh, yeah, that's what I did yesterday. But in my head, it was always like, it, it was almost done. Like, then I, w- I would be, it was just a temporary thing. And then when my life was better, when I lost more weight, like, I could be okay. I, it would all be okay again. And I never got any help. And, um, you know, the other things I really identified with 
it wasn't just the bulimia because I realized, you know, I one of the things I had to do when I got into my recovery was um, I had to learn to to binge and not throw up because I really thought if I binged, I would die if I didn't throw up or I would, I don't know, I, I've never done it. I had never binged and not thrown up. And my sponsor just like, I don't know how, was talking to her and then just praying that I learned that I could just binge and I didn't die and I didn't gain 20 pounds. It was just like, that's what I had. I, it was like, uh, what is it? if you eat it, you own it. And that was huge for me. And um, I, but I identify as, uh, when I came, when I started hearing people share about the way they ate and what they ate um, and just the insanity, because I am a volume eater and I'm a speed eater. Like, I lied about my age when I was 14 to get a job at McDonald's and I could eat a Big Mac in three bites. And I I have eaten, I only ate family-sized bags of things. Um, when they came out with those little, um, you know, those like one serving size Ben and Jerry's or whatever, I, I didn't understand. I thought that was a, t- a tasting cup. Like, I've never, I've never in my life eaten less than a pint of ice cream. It's when I had my own money as a kid, I did. But minimum ice cream is like one or two pints plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, I, I, my binges would be like anywhere from three to 7,000 calories. So there's all the calorie counter too. And, um, and I'm a speedy, like to this day, I, um, like, I just eat people, other people used to stare at the way that I ate, and, um, you know, I always, even though I'm, like, totally unathletic, I always dated, like, fairly, like, you know, big athletic guys, and they would just be baffled that I could put away the same amount of food as them, and be like, where's it all going? <laughs> In the toilet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I love, I love hearing people's stories, and um, I can tell you, um, yeah, my, I remember, like, one of my early memories, because I grew up in a really crazy, dysfunctional, really poor household. Um, we were on welfare. We, like, drifted across Canada, moving from place to place with, well, my dad created disasters and fleed from creditors, and he changed our last name, because it was in the 70s. We couldn't, like, skip trace people that easily. So I remember, like, going to this new school with a different last name. And, um, but it was also, like, a, a health food household. So it was all, you know, I didn't, we didn't have cookies. We had, like, um, things my mom made with, like, um, like shredded grains, flax seeds, and molasses, <laughs> and then I'd go to school and and so little of them. <laughs> and I'd go to school and people had like Oreos, and I would, you know, there, there's this. I still remember this so vividly. There was a guy named Barry Cohen in my grade one class who would open his Oreos, lick them, and close them, and then offer them to me. And I knew if nobody was there, I would totally eat it, but I couldn't do that in front of the other kids. Um, but as soon as I um, like, as soon as I had my own money, I just started, like, getting, you know, all the candy and stuff I wanted. And then um, I, but, you know, also, like, obsessing, like, when I was nine, I remember getting my mother's measuring tape out of her sewing kit and measuring my size and writing it down. And then, like, we had this thing um, called the Canada Fitness Wheel that they gave you in school that was, like, a little dial that had, like, every food. You, you dialed to it, and it would say how many calories it had and what activity you'd have to use to burn it. So I had that, you know, with my little notebook, like tracking what I ate and how many calories and stuff. And then finally, you know, I had tr- I was unsuccessfully bulimic, um, you know, for a little bit in, um, like I tried, I remember like once I drank hydrogen peroxide, because I'd heard that would make you throw up, it didn't work. Um, I'd eaten a pound of chocolate or something and I just couldn't get rid of it. And then after, you know, more research from books and after school specials, I kind of figured it out when I was about 17, and um, and then I just became, I, I, I had, like, my whole thing, my obsession in life was getting away from the insanity of my family and the dysfunction and the shame and the secrets and lies and just, like, everything. I just, 
all I wanted to do was escape and have like the type of life that I lived in my imagination. And um, I was only good at one thing. Like I'm, you know, I'm like tone deaf. I can't clap to a beat. I'm athletically retarded. Like I'm spatially challenged. I can't like have zero talents except I'm really really good in school. And I'm a good class taker. And I'm a good like reader and writer. And I used to like sit around reading the dictionary and stuff. And so I just was like, if I keep doing what I'm doing in school, I'll get a scholarship and I'll get away somewhere. And I kept like applying to boarding schools that I thought might pay. And I finally got into this like amazing school that was like in the forest on Vancouver Island and with like kids from 63 countries and you did all these amazing service activities and learned different languages and it was like had been started by people from the UN and it was a theater into like some fantastic universities and it was like the opportunity of a lifetime but what I did was when I got that scholarship was that was a mistake I'm really terrible they're going to find out and then once I got there and got into the cafeteria food I gained um, like 25 pounds in a couple of months and my legs were covered in stretch marks, and that's when I started throwing up, and I just became, like, really gifted at it. I, like, found secret bathrooms with, you know, the one door, and just, like, I lost the weight quickly. And then I just did it, like, on and off for years and years and years. And it was just always my little secret. Um, and then when I when I started to really have um, consequences, um, by the time, like, you know, whenever, whenever anything, everything was going to get in my life, like when I was in college and grad school and, you know, I fell in love, I had an amazing boyfriend, and I could vision my life turning out the way I thought it should, um, you know, like with this dreamy academic career and a restored Victorian home and the matching golden retrievers and the perfect husband, and then, like, none of that happened because I don't want to do the work. I do, kind of, but I just don't want it to be hard. I just don't like it when things don't go my way or when there's setbacks or uncertainties. And so by the time I was in my late 20s, um, like nothing, like I dropped out of grad school, even though I was doing really well because I just wasn't, there's a lot of things I didn't have control over and I was afraid. And I dropped out of a corporate career and I, I just started like doing freelance marketing writing because I could make a bunch of money really fast and then I could like drink and, um, and live in my eating disorder and hide out. And um, towards the very end, I'm going to try to fast forward through this. Um, this is what my life looked like. I would, like, things would be going okay, but kind of be doing okay. And I would have to keep, like, the facade of my life looking pretty good. Like, it was, if you can imagine, like, a, beauty, a home that looks, like, absolutely beautifully painted and, um, like, but then in, inside, like, the frame is rotting, the electricity is, is haywire, and it's going to start fires, like, the plumbing is full of lead. Like, there was so much rot on the inside of my life and so much fear, um, and I just couldn't face things. I had, like, stopped paying my taxes. Um, I'd run up all these credit cards. I lost a ton of money in the tax stock crash, and I just couldn't, like, do any. After that, I was just a deer in the headlights, and I'd never got help with my finances, and I'd run up, like, 120000 in debt. And I was alien I'd alienated people from my family because of my um, my alcoholism, and I ended up um, I would do stuff like park my car a few blocks away from the where I lived, so nobody knew I was home. Um, unplug the phone and the um, turn off my cell phone, and then I would spend like three days just like eating binge food, throwing up, emptying my stomach so I could get drunk, get drunk, pass out, do the same thing again, like over and over until I felt like my little like vacation from life was over and then I'd like, you know, go back to the therapist, start writing again, you know, just, it was just this horrible cycle. And I ended up moving down here to LA um, to be with my, the man, this man I'd fallen in love with, I, I, we reconnected at my 10-year college reunion. 
and he had um, a little, his wife had been killed by a drunk driver, leaving him with this like little three-year-old, three-month-old baby and a three-year-old girl. And um, I got this idea that I was going to um, rescue that family from their tragedy. Um, I started going to AA to get sober, had some moderate success with it, although I wasn't consistently staying sober. And um, I wanted to just leave behind the nightmare of Vancouver and come to LA and have this brand new life where I'd be like a stay-at-home mom and I was all into the crafts and I would create these like beautiful, nutritious, like bento box lunches for them. And then I would secretly be running off to like KFC and wherever, like to binge and purge. And so I was living this total double life. And then um, I was, I'd been here like maybe six or seven weeks. We'd been long distance for a while. And after I moved down here, I was diagnosed with a really invasive type of breast cancer. And things were like looking really dodgy. And um, there was a new treatment option, but it hadn't been around very long. And I ended up having this like insane year of um, like chemo and um, I had four surgeries. And um, I was, any sense of God I'd started to get from AA was gone. Like I just felt like there's no God would do this to these to me and to these little girls who lost their mom and now they have like a new mom and she's going to die and um, and I did like I you know I missed the chemo session once because I went on I was drinking like I was in I, had, I drank so much I had to detox and then I was taking anti-nausea medication while binging and purging like that was the insanity of it and then when I was when things were looking better and I was in this looking like I was going to recover and I was in a nutrition program I could do their, like, eat the rainbow antioxidant type diet that I was given. I could do that for, like, three days. And then I was back at, um, against my own will, I was in a Ralph's parking lot getting, like, all my binge food and throwing up. And every time I did it, it was like, okay, I'm done. I just had to do it that one time, and now it's going to be different starting tomorrow. And it was never different, and tomorrow was always the same. And um, the whole thing just came crashing down. I relapsed again. He felt like I was like going to be unsafe around his kids if he um, wanted to divorce me and send me back to Canada and kept in my green card application. And I um, ended up like trying to kill myself and I was in a lockdown psych unit. And um, then from there, I got into a treatment program where they started to, that was the first time I told somebody I was bullying it because when they did the intake, they were like, are, do you, are you also bullying it? And I was like, how did you know? You know, I just, um, I thought nobody would know. Um, and then for me what happened was I did totally surrender in AA. Like I and I got sober and I've maintained that sobriety date. That was June twenty ninth of two thousand seven. Um, in that psyche and when I was still trying to kill myself at one point I just got on my knees and asked God, like, if he wanted me to live to show me what to do. And then all these these things happened and and the the, the urge to drink lifted and it has never come back. Um, but I, like I said before, my eating disorder just took off, um, and I almost got kicked out of my sober living. So I had so many consequences. I missed AA meetings sometimes because there was there's just so much food there. So I'd be at this like beautiful women's meeting that was full of like spiritual power and women who wanted to help me, and I would have eaten like actually I used to have the cake commitment at that <laughs> meeting, and I remember one time driving home with like uh, three quarters of an uneaten cake that I was eating out of my lap in giant handfuls and crumbs and frosting was everywhere and and I just like it was pitiful and incomprehensible humiliation and what I do is I just erase that stuff like oh that never happened like clean get my car shampooed and then just pretend it never happened and then my AA sponsor just at one point god bless her you know she and she just took me aside and was like Martha you're going to lose your sobriety and I think you're going to die if you don't stop throwing up and don't um, if you don't get help 
And she said, go talk to Leslie E. because we're in the same group. And she said, um, Leslie has not grown up in over 20 years, so ask her what she's doing and then do what she tells you to do. And I did that, and then, and I was really scared, kind of scared of Lester, I guess. <laughs> um, and I really, I, I, as soon as I came to LA, I, I, I loved hearing people, and I, um, I knew you were my people. And the story, and just to see your women laugh about their insanity, and l- hear them laugh about their vomit, and to hear people like laugh about the way, you know, the way we drive with food. Like, I started to feel like I could be okay, but I also, I didn't want to be in two programs. I was so resentful of all the obligations I already had. And like I said, I just, um, I was around for like a month or something, and then I got what was mine, and I left. And then I had six months of like living hell, where I started throwing up five or six times a day, and I would like, um, you know, steal people's food, like walk out of, leave work, not come back. Um, It was just, um, that was when I started to see that I could die, because I was starting to have like physical consequences as well and I just I mean it was not a life and like I said I did not feel like a free person I my car was driving me places I didn't want to go and I was doing things I didn't want to do and um, somebody from this group who I had known when I first came in was my estimate for me to come back because I ran into him um, in a Whole Foods with I had a bag of binge food which as you know Whole Foods is full of binge food and he had a bag he had a bag of like food that is really what Whole Foods is about <laughs> And then um, I saw him. He didn't remember me, but his the light he was shining, and he was he'd lost like 80 pounds or something. And he um, like I wanted I wanted to feel the way he looked, you know. Like I real and I just went back to LA the next day, and I've never left. Um, and I just start I did like you know one thing that my sponsor always said that really helped me when I was new and struggling was the actions don't care why you take them because I was bitter, I was resentful, I was sick, I was angry. I thought a lot of things were stupid. I judged everybody, but I did the actions. Like, I didn't really, I prayed no matter what. I started to try to pray before I put food in my mouth. Um, I made, I was, she told me, Leslie told me to make three to five outreach calls a day. I would like be so excited to get people's voicemails out of the shop. And, <laughs> and um, I, you know, I took commitments. And, um, and like she said, after you have, um, you just have to stay one step ahead. I started sponsoring people when I had maybe six months because I was, I had done most of my OA steps, and then I did I did all the steps in OA. And um, for me, like, and then what would happen is there would be like terrible weeks where I was like, why aren't I losing this weight? Like, why can't I eat it what I want? Um, and actually, you know, I, one thing that really helped me was doing the steps in AA in OA because I know a lot of people are in other programs, and sometimes it feels like why don't why can't I just get this? Is it is like it really? I mean, the book and the steps are so powerful that you really do have to go. For me, I had to go through them all again, like in relation to, to food and my eating disorder. And one thing that I found out is like, I don't want to eat um, like ice cream or cake moderately. I I don't want to split a cupcake like I see people doing at work. Like I have no interest in that. I used to go to Hanson's and get a six pack of cupcakes, eat four of them, and the frosting off the remaining two. That's a portion for me, <laughs> and I have zero interest in like a little scoop of ice cream on its own. And I don't want to eat that. That's ridiculous. I don't want to eat that food around other people. I want all that food by myself under my down comforter, with like a series, <laughs> and and I want unlimited amounts of it. And I don't want anybody watching me. And I want to eat it the way I want to eat it. And I realized, you know, that is about how I drink. Like I, I don't want a glass of wine. I want two bottles of wine. And, um, you know, just, and just like with alcohol, like, you know, when I, I, when I, I used to have like, um, what do you call it, like, like a 
like a sh- I have a drink with people, but before that, there was other drinks by myself, and after that, there was all the other drinks I was going to drink, and that's how my food was. There was, I could stage and play act, eat, a, eat food a certain way with the boyfriend or with somebody's family or whatever, and then there was going to be other food that would be done my way, and um, you know that's that's like really. And then I also had to make tons of food-related amends. Like I remember having I showed last week a list of um, there was like. <laughs> three valves, one bonds, and five whole foods that I had stolen from. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was like over $700. Because what I used to do is get salad bar or like, you know, whatever I wanted, hot food. And it was too expensive. So I would eat until it was down to the weight that I thought it should be charged. And Leslie was like, well, if you object to the pricing of the store, then why don't you like shop somewhere else? <laughs> so I had to go back and do that. And some of that was like really magical and powerful. You know, like some people didn't really get it, but they just rang up what I owed them. But when Whole Foods, the manager, the first manager I talked to didn't understand what I was talking about at all. And this other manager, he thought, he actually said, um, he had tears in his eyes and he said, um, he said, I have two nephews who are really struggling with addiction, and to see somebody doing something like this, and to know that your life is getting better, this is like, he's like, I feel like this is God stepping in. And he just said, um, you know, ma'am, this, this store does not need your money, but there's a lot of people that are hungry, and I'd like you to just donate the money to, to um, a charity that will help feed people who are really are hungry. And just lots of things like that happened. Um, one of the amends that a living amends that I'm still making is like I was a stepmom to those little girls for you know that marriage we couldn't save that or I could not save that marriage and that marriage it he was right I was I was not saving them I was much too sick to save that family um, but I um, I had like so much shame about the way sometimes that my my eating disorder like damaged my relationship, like it damaged the way I treated them. And I I have this like nightmare memory of dropping Maddie off. off at, she was five years old. And I got so excited when birthday party invitations were drop off, like rather than the parents having to stay, because then I could go do my thing. And I remember she she was having like a difficult day and she had a meltdown crying because she didn't want me to leave. And I had to, like, it wasn't that I wanted to, like I had no choice. I had to go binge. I hadn't done it in a while or a day or something and like I couldn't I remember like shaking her hand out of um, out of my hand and she was like all sticky and weeping and she was like this tiny little you know little redhead five-year-old and like I I, I love her but I, I cannot serve two masters I cannot like give my heart to that child when I'm trapped by my disease and I just I just um you know, I feel like one thing is I, I have made a lot of like living amends to that family too. Um, I've made a lot of financial amends to him, and I ended up after he saw um, my recovery. And like my sponsor said, you don't you don't tell people you're in recovery. You don't tell them what you're doing to get better. You just show them by your actions. And when he started to trust me with the little girls again, like I had a I've become kind of like a special person in their life and a role model and. Um, like I, I'm actually taking Maddie out tomorrow. She's like 15 now, and we do like activities together. And I've told both of those girls about my eating disorder, and it's actually because they're teenagers now, and they have um, girls, a lot of girls in their life that have struggled with eating disorders. So I get to be like a support and a resource for them because they didn't. I mean, I went for years without knowing about OA. Like so now, that's like a gift that I give them, and I feel like I've I've made this relationship whole through this program. And um, there was just like. You know, because of, like, my health stuff, I wasn't able to have my own kids. And um, and 
by just, you know, through the steps of this program of making amends to my family. And I had alienated my sister for years with my, my all, you know, both of my diseases. And we ended up becoming best friends again. And then she had a little baby and named her after me. And that's just the love of my life. And there's just been so many gifts like that. It's like one thing I just want to tell people is, Nobody's life is too damaged to be fixed, and nobody's, there's nothing, there's nothing that can't be fixed here, because there's just so many things that have happened. You know, I ended up, like, getting a green card just by following sponsor directions. I, like, survived the horrible recession, and I just went through a lot of ups and downs, and, like, I fell in love here with somebody I met in this program, and we had a wonderful trip, and then in the end, it, it didn't work out, but we did, we did all of that, um, you know, using the tools and stuff of recovery, and, um, just most of the time today, um, I have, like, so much freedom. You know, I work in a workplace where there's constantly, like, food and catering and stuff like that. And a lot of days, like, I have um, – it just feels so good to go to bed after a day of clean, sober eating. And, um, you know, I um, I enjoy, like, just being fit and healthy and exercising and um, just feeling like just this freedom that – that this, this disease and, and these substances don't have this power over me. And I definitely, like I said, I've had, had struggles and with my food plan and ups and downs. And But for the most part, um, you know, there's just day, sometimes it's just like day after day after day where I don't even, sometimes I don't remember what I ate, but it was, it was sober and it was, um, and I was not, um, just not, I was not eating to hurt myself. Um, and that, and I, I cannot, like, for me alone, the fact that I threw up for 22 years and then one day it was lifted and never came back, like, that, that is, to me is evidence of God because there's no way to explain that. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. It was there and then it was gone. And that, and for that, you know, I'm, I'm just so, um, just so deeply grateful. Um, I feel like I had a million other things I wanted to say, but, um, I will just wrap it up so people can ask some questions. Thanks for listening.
it takes a lot of work. I think that's what, like, the, the longer I've been around in both programs, the more work I realize this requires to have, like, a level of, of because I feel like it's not just us, but, like, every human being just wants to feel at peace. With I want to feel at peace within myself. And that does not come easy. I don't think it comes easy to anybody, but at least we have, you know, the tools here, and we have people to talk to. And what, one thing I really try to do is, is when, like, even if I'm not obsessed with food, then I'm completely obsessed with something else. I started listening to all these true crime podcasts, and then I just think that I could solve the crime. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like, like, whatever. I've done some crazy things. And then my sponsor will, like, course correct me, <laughs> and then I'll just find something else. So, um, yeah, I, 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 what I try to do is when I can see myself getting, like, like manic and, like, uh, obsessed and, like, kind of losing my freedom in a sense because I'm not doing the stuff that matters to my life and the people that I love in my life. I'm doing, you know, solving a 50-year-old crime or something. Like, I need to, or eating or whatever, then I, I need to just immediately tell somebody. Like, and it doesn't have to be Leslie. It can be, like, any, any, anyone who's in, who shares my recovery. And then all... I, like this happens to me when I'm listening to people and when I'm talking, I start saying it and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I never, that's what I love about us. Like, we never feel crazy. Like, whatever I've done, whatever I think somebody's done the same or worse or crazier or, you know what I mean? Like, it's magical, I think. One more question. I talked about it fast, so I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, oh, um, what is my morning routine? Um, I try to, I'd say like 80% of the time I get on my knees the second I get out of bed because I don't try to make the bed or, um, actually I put the coffee on, coffee first and then I get on my knees and then I read, I have like about eight different daily readers from my different programs and I pick like three or four and, um, read those and then I, and I, after I pray on my knees and the prayer can just be anything. Like sometimes I do some step prayer or sometimes it's just like, God, please help me today, or sometimes it's about, like, whatever's going on, but just a little prayer. I, I like to use, like, I like candles, and then I write a gratitude list, which, again, that takes, like, a minute, you know, like, just bring them some gratitude, and then if I have time, um, I try to do, I started trying to do, like, a four or five minute meditation, but I really struggle with that. I know, I know that there's training and stuff that can, can help, and then I, um, yeah, so sometimes it's like 20 minutes, sometimes it's five minutes, whatever I have, have time for. And uh, like it's, I look forward to it. It's like the best part of my day often. So thanks for letting me share.